Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to On Deck with Stan C. On the show, I want to tell the real stories behind the real people behind the mic. And for this week, my guest is Pia Renada of Rappler.com. She's been on the front lines covering the Duterte administration basically even before it began. And she has a lot of stories from her point of view about how everything is, you know, how dealing with all of that as a reporter, as a woman, as a human being. And I love getting to chat with journalists because it's always nice to see their insights, how they feel, how they manage everything, how they maintain their mental health through all of the stuff that's going on, especially as a reporter covering Malacanang. You know, we know how tumultuous that is. So you get to hear all of those conversations. That's on deck for this week. But before we get to our main event, I've got to tell you that you have less than two weeks to go out and register to vote. Comelec has set up yung mga satellite offices at the mall, so please go check those out. If you need to know yung mga requirements and the places you need to go to, please check out iregistro.comelec.gov.ph. Please prepare all of your documents. Make sure na ready na lahat. You can also check out votepilipinas.com for all of the requirements. You have until September 30 to be a registered voter uh, for the 2022 elections. Sobrang importante nun. So please go out and register to vote. And then next year, if there's one very important reason for all of us to go out and risk our health, it's to vote. It's to be part of the process. It's to select our leaders wisely, properly, and correctly. Another reminder before we get to my interview with Pierre Nada, if you want to support On Deck with Stan C at no extra cost to you, you can use my Lazada affiliate link anytime you want to shop over on Lazada because everything you need, hashtag NASA Lazada yan. So before you check out, go to your mobile phone browser and then type in this URL. It's podlink.co slash zero RP. Again, that is podlink.co slash the number zero and then the letters R and P. From there, it'll take you straight to the app. Then just click checkout. And then a portion of what you spend will go to Podcast Network Asia and On Deck at no extra cost to you. So once again, my Lazada affiliate link is podlink.co slash zero RP. All right, it's time to get to the main event. Here's my conversation with Rappler.com's Yaranada. (laughs) 
this is one of the interviews for this season of On Deck that I've been really looking forward to because it's not every day I get to talk to a Malacanang beat reporter. So uh, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to somebody I used to debate with in all these debate tournaments back in high school. And I'm really proud to see that she's now one of the people at the forefront of fighting for press freedom and reporting on the stuff that really matters in Malacanang, really fighting the good fight. Pia Nada of Rappler joins us here on deck. How's it going, Pia? Hi, Stan. Thanks so much for inviting me here. It's so good to see you again, to talk to you again. Um, I don't even remember the last time I, I'd run into you, but I'm really just happy that we get this chance to talk because um, you've got such an interesting story of your entire career, basically, which I've been reading up on over the last few days. But first, I got to start with how you're doing, especially with basically the Delta variant still running wild out there, Metro Manila being a shit show, the Philippines being a shit show. So how are you? The main difference now with my life during the pandemic is I have a daughter. I gave birth a year ago. So she's actually like a COVID-era baby because she only spent maybe like a month in the normal world. And then we had to go into lockdown after her baptism. So that's been my main concern with the pandemic. I mean, just how to protect her from, from the world, from the virus. And uh, my job is tricky because obviously I have to go out. I have to interview people. It's all about being in the place where things happen. And so it's been a balancing act trying to do the job, but still obviously keep my family safe. Uh, but what's working for me is that our technology is really well adapted to the times. I mean, a lot of the things I used to do physically, I can do virtually. So things like press conferences are done via Zoom already. I can do my one-on-one -on -one interviews with policymakers also online. So that's a big help. And that really is it's a big deal for me. Uh, but since we know that elections is happening next year, that's going to be a lot trickier to handle because there will still be a physical element to campaigning, right? I mean, even if you can say town halls will be virtual, they will have to go on the ground to campaign. And right now, all newsrooms are weighing the risks, the pros and cons of sending their reporters on the campaign trail, the physical campaign trail. And right now, it's something we're all thinking about. Congratulations first on uh, the birth of your baby. And I guess I want to pivot to that for a second and ask about what that conversation is like with your husband. Now, you know, you still have to go out there. You still have to do your work. And as you mentioned, with campaign season about to begin, how does that conversation go with uh, family Nino, in terms of just trying to keep everybody safe, trying to ease your paranoia, especially with everything going on? It's been pretty interesting dynamic because it's actually my husband now who goes outside every day. Because unlike my job, his job, he works in a factory, right? Like it's manufacturing. So one of the essential industries during the lockdown. So um, when, whereas I have been able to adapt my work and my work has been able to adapt to the pandemic, you know, become safer, ad adopt, uh, you know, best practices online. He, he, th that's not an option for him. So actually the conversation now is more of um, uh, me choosing what to cover and adjusting also our in, in the newsroom, for example, we do things like people who cover an event, they get to quarantine in like a hotel and the company pays for that, um, wow. especially if these people have families. So uh, right now we've been deploying people who live alone, right? Reporters who live by themselves in condos. But uh, reporters like me, we get an option to isolate in a hotel. I haven't done that yet because, as I said, Malacanang has been able to adapt to the pandemic, all of the press conferences of Harry Rocky are done online anyway. So uh, that's a good thing. I looked at your LinkedIn and I didn't realize that you've been basically doing this for the better part of a decade. So how did this all begin for you? And was news reporting something you'd always been passionate about? I'm actually really surprised also 
that it's been 10 years that I've been doing this. Like, it doesn't feel like 10 years. Just things happen so fast. But I've always liked storytelling. I've always liked being in a different place at a different time all the time. I don't think I can stomach a 9-to-5 job where, you know, you're supposed to be a machine churning out whatever. So journalism has really given that to me. It's it's not a, a very glamorous job in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of slog involved. But the good thing about it is you'll never be bored. And that's a big come on for someone like me. I mean, it it's fulfilling and it kind of makes up for all of the shit that goes down. How did it all start? Um, I, I know you started with GMA. So how did that opportunity come about to begin with? So after graduation, I took a few months hiatus where I backpacked with my then boyfriend, now husband. But then I think around June, I decided I had to find a job and I just applied. I applied to numerous networks, ABS-CBN, GMA, and GMA replied, I think because I knew someone from there. Like I was able to get my application going along. But the job there was only part-time. So I worked at a late-night news show called Saksi. I'm sure you guys know yeah. Arnold Clavio, right? Uh, so he was an anchor there. I basically wrote his scripts. Like what he would say, I would write them down and then I would create video packages about world events. So I wasn't doing any field work because the videos from all around the world, they, they come from other sources, right? Like wire agencies and whatnot. I would just basically summarize them. Then six months later, I wasn't feeling it. I felt like a machine. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, it wasn't fulfilling. So my mentors from Ateneo de Manila Communication Department contacted me, Chai Hoffelenia uh, and Glenda Gloria. They offered me to work for them, but uh, the only position available at the time was lifestyle reporter. So I actually spent my first years in Rappler covering beauty pageants, uh, reviewing restaurants, uh, watching movies and reviewing them. So it was really fun, but I don't think people also realize that it can be very stressful to cover lifestyle. I mean, it doesn't sound that way because all oh, restaurants and food and wine, but it's <laughs> actually very stressful because I also covered entertainment, so showbiz. So every time someone got pregnant, you know, I had to write about it. So it was difficult, but also really, really fun. But then after six months of that, I was asked, do you want a change of scene? Do you want to move somewhere in Rappler? And then they offered me a nation slot. So nation is like the news the politics, the news, hard news side of Rappler. And so I took it because I thought um, I'm young and this is the time to experiment. This is time to, this is a time to see what I'm good at, where I fit in in this industry and time to challenge my, my skills. So I felt that moving beats and trying hard news would be uh, really interesting for me. And true enough, I've never left <laughs> the, the nation beat since then. I want to go back to your experience for writing for Arnold Clavio and Saksi. You know, as a lot of us who came from the private school system, not a lot of us are entirely fluent in Tagalog. So was it hard to try to uh, write news in Tagalog, especially writing for TV broadcasting? Because it's different discipline, different nuances of the language when you're writing for TV versus uh, when you're writing for print. So was it hard for you to make that adjustment? It was so hard to go back to all of my Filipino subjects. Mm-hmm. But what worked for me is the medium because television is supposed to be short and snappy. Yeah. So, you know, I could get away with very basic phrases and basic Tagalog. I wouldn't have been able to use really, you know, matalanghagang phrases or whatnot, <laughs> mga metaphors. But that's a good thing because in, on TV, you're not supposed to really make your script long. So uh, I survived. I, I wasn't fired. So, so I think that went well. Pivoting off of that. 
and getting into you covering the Malacanang beat or yung nation parts sa Rappler, did you have any hesitations with taking on that assignment? Because knowing that you're going to have to cover Malacanang means you're going to have to talk about politics. And I don't think it's a secret naman na the Philippines is not exactly the safest place for journalists. So was there any hesitation from, from you, from your family, when you got this beat and this assignment? So before Malacanang, I was actually Raptors environment and disaster reporter. So I was covering storms like super typhoons. I was going to the places where before the storm would hit, I would have to be there already waiting for it to make landfall. So what my family was iffy about was the political coverage, because as you said, it's hard, it's um, controversial, you can get into trouble. We know that so many politicians are fond of libel suits and libel is still criminal, a yeah. criminal offense here. But actually, going into politics, there was kind of a transition because before covering Malacanang, I covered elections. And I covered specifically Rodrigo Duterte as a presidential candidate. When you're covering elections, the hard part there is really trailing the candidate, being updated with his or her positions on various issues, making sure that you don't miss anything from his platform, you know, covering his campaign sorties on the ground. Which is like all over the Philippines. Like I, I think I had to go to Tawi Tawi or Sulu or you know one of those places that are really remote, hard to get to, just to cover him. That was okay. That was exciting and that was interesting. But the real challenge came when Duterte started to get pissed off by my coverage of him, and that really happened during his presidency, not during the campaign. We were good during the campaign. But it was really when he was president, right? when he had more power, right? More scrutiny definitely was directed at him. So obviously, if you have more power, people are going to make sure they watch you because yeah. we want to know what you're doing with that power. So I was churning out stories, critical stories, and he didn't like that. He, he would even make uh, side comments on live television about me. Like he would say, Oh, Pia, huwag kang pupuntang Mindanao kasi may mangyayari sa'yo. Right. Um, or he would say like, watch, And then it's like, what? what? <laughs> so it's like he was kind of insinuating that he was bribing me or something on national television. And obviously in those scenarios, you don't have the mic because you're yeah. just watching the president on the sidelines. You know, you're one of the reporters with notebook in hand, writing what he's saying. But, you know, the microphone is in his hands. So he can say whatever he wants about you and you wouldn't be able to reply until like, hours after or maybe minutes after through tweet and no, no one's going to read that tweet because they're all listening to Duterte on television. So that time, people started like being more concerned and also messaging me about those little things they hear on TV. And I also remember pala, the first time that like a real confrontation happened between us was a few weeks before he took his oath as president when he wolf-whistled Maurice O'Malley, a GMA7 reporter, and I called him out on that. During yeah, a press conference, this. and mm-hmm. yeah, he was so pissed off. Like he was like, "Next question, please." Or and then he also wolf whistled at me. It was an unpleasant experience, and it was live. Like that video, you could watch that video. You could search it now. So many people messaged me after that. It was a mix of people saying "Gopia," like stand up for like women's rights and this misogynist. Uh, but there are also people who were like "Piernado Kurakot" or "Prestitute." They were angry that I, I had asked that question and put Duterte on the spot. They were saying I was rude, disrespectful, arrogant, that I would do such a thing to an incoming president. Yeah, after that, things really just became more intense. Like the attention and 
you know, I really felt like people were watching my back. And that was just an extra dynamic to think about when you're covering the president. I want to get into the whole misogyny of it all. Because when you have a public figure, let alone a president, going on live TV and wolf whistling or making these misogynistic comments, it really speaks to a larger systemic problem that we have as a society. Now, you know, a lot of people still think it's okay, or a lot of people will say, "Now, oh, you're such a snowflake. Can't you take a joke?" And I want to get your insights on that as a woman and as a reporter, because you're like double the target for attacks like these, which are flat out wrong and uncalled for. Well, I guess what I want to say there is, let's say that as a person, you're okay with these kinds of comments, like snide remarks, like people saying, telling you, oh, ganda mo naman, or ang ganda naman ng suot mo today. And it's like a personal, intimate kind of a, like maybe you're in the office or you're at home or something. Maybe you're fine with that. And okay, you're entitled to, to your opinion, that you're, you're, you tolerate that kind of remark. But Imagine if that person was the president and he was talking on live television and millions of people can hear him. Millions of people, including children, right? Your daughter, right? Your mom. It would be like, if you didn't counter that, you would basically be allowing, you know, you would be tolerating that for everyone. You would be making a decision for all of those millions of people that this is okay. And the thing with Duterte is he's not just some random person. He's a normative person. He makes norms because he's the president. He is an institution. Like he's a, a man, but he's also the office, right. the office of the president. And that office is influential. It sets norms. It's like, a, in a way, it sets an example for the country because you're the leader, right? Whatever you do, it's implied that it's correct. We should follow you in everything because you're the leader. You're, you have this mandate of 60 million people. You're in this powerful office where you basically direct everything that goes on in this country and then you wolf whistle at a filipina and you you know you you say you want to shoot the vaginas of communist rebels or you want to say women in davos city are beautiful that's why they get raped right like would you really want a president to say that to be able to say that freely and often knowing that he is you know supposed to be the emblem of this country Right? So you just have to ask yourself that question and then go back to what would you do if you could counter that somehow in your own little way, just say, no, that's wrong, Mr. President. You might reconsider what you would do. Because I felt that. I felt scared when I heard him say that, when I heard him wolf whistle at Marizu Mali. I was shivering. I was, you know, like, nanginig ako with galit and fear because I knew that I had to do something. Like, I could have just sit there and let, let this guy do it. And knowing that also I had the chance to ask him a question right after that incident, right? Like, so like the ball's in my court. What are you going to do? I'm going to do something about it because tiny opportunity and we can't just let this person dictate our values. So even if I was scared out of my shoes, I just decided to point it out, ask my question about him actually signing the Magna Carta for Women in Davos City. It's more than just him wolf whistling. It's him contradicting his past actions. And I thought that I wouldn't be doing my job as a journalist if I didn't point that out, knowing that that was the case. We're taking a break from my conversation with Pia Renada so I can talk to all the movie geeks like me who are listening to On Deck with Stan C. And if you enjoy watching yung mga international shows or movies and you always get the notice that it's not available in your country, hassle, diba? Nakakapikun. But here's a quick fix solution for that. 
I recommend installing NordVPN on your devices. Nord is a VPN service that allows you to conveniently access content from over 59 different countries by changing your virtual location in just one click. And the best part is it allows you to protect up to six different devices. I've got my own NordVPN subscription and yes, my phone, my laptop, and even those of my family members, they're protected as well. And you can go ahead and experience internet freedom now with NordVPN. Just click the link podlink.co slash L-I-F. Again, that's podlink.co slash the letters L-I-F and use my code on deck, no spaces, just one word, to get discounts of up to over 70% off. And as a bonus, if NordVPN isn't for you, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So go ahead and try it out. Just use my affiliate link, podlink.co slash L-I-F and use my code on deck to try NordVPN right now. How did it feel though when you'd asked that question and in the process you'd called out those comments as wrong? Especially considering that Duterte is a cult of personality figure. And I say that in a general sense that a lot of our politicos in the Philippines are cult of personality figures. Like as a society, we love our cults of personality. That's why partisan politics or yung mga party system dito sa Pinas doesn't mean shit. Say we were all after particular personalities. So how did that feel knowing that you were not just going up against the president? a man, but you were also going up against or calling out all the people who support him and what he says and does. I felt that one part of me was like, yeah, I called him out. I did what I was supposed to do. Satisfying to have your say in that. But another part of me was, uh-oh, you know, it's like, I'm going to get it. Because yeah. even before that, I was already receiving many troll remarks and many threats on Facebook, Twitter, uh, every time I would write critically about Duterte's campaign promises or his remarks, like when he he said things like short time, short time with a, his girlfriend or that he sexually harassed like his maid when he was young or something. So I was kind of used to already those kinds of attacks from his very ardent followers. So I was prepared in a way. I, I knew what I was in for. And that's exactly what made me nervous about doing it, partly. But you know, there's an overriding thought talaga na, no eh, parang, yeah, there's that, there's, I'm gonna get bashed, but, I mean, so what? <laughs> parang in the end, if you measure pros and cons, the impact of what you're gonna do, um, and even just, basically, the, the need, the drive to do it, like, it's just, I cannot let this pass. And it wasn't even measuring pros and cons for, for me at that point. Like, I have to do this. Like, there, there's nothing, I have no choice. You mentioned that you'd already prepared yourself for yung mga troll remarks and all of the comments that would be sent your way. How do you even prepare? How do you brace yourself to just take all that in? Because you're essentially becoming a punching bag and not everybody can take that. I think reporters, when they enter the profession, or at least especially political beat reporters, know that that is part of the job because you were going to potentially irritate powerful people it's part of your job and they will have supporters and that's just part of the landscape you work in it's just supercharged nowadays because of the internet and social media so you've become more of a target and they can hide under the blanket of anonymity so it's just extra difficult but i think on a very foundational basic level reporters should be you know psychologically kind of hearing themselves for that Obviously, that doesn't mean we're immune to hurt and pain and sadness caused by these kinds of remarks. I mean, I've cried over them just because there's some very 
cruel remarks and very baseless allegations like I'm corrupt or I'm receiving money from politicians, things like that. Or, you know, they would comment about my appearance and even threaten family members who defend me. So, I mean, how can you not be affected by those comments? But at the yeah. same time, you have to just move on from that because at the end of the day, you also think that this is just a passing thing. Social media may be powerful, but it's also very temporal. And what will really make a difference is what you write. So I think you just have to, for me, it was just about keeping the eye on the prize and just hunching down and taking the punches because you have to still do the job and you just have to take faith or take maybe comfort in the fact that maybe your writing can do some good. You just have to kind of hold on to that as a talisman. When you say you, you want to keep your eyes on the prize, what's the end game? What's the prize that you specifically are going after? The prize for me is to give Filipinos the best political coverage. Like to make them know what's really going on and make them understand the government and how these powerful people operate. Just so that hindi kayo maloho. I think my goal is that, na to make the populace less easily fooled. Because we've been fooled for so long. You know, this government, politicians, you know, they're, they're making a fool out of Filipinos. Eh. They campaign with their jingles, they make promises. But when they're in power, what do they do with that power? It's just, I mean, covering this beat for so long, I'm very jaded. Eh. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, though, um, examples of politicians who are at least living up to their promises, but they're few and far between. Eh. So I think we still need more informed citizenry because only a well-informed citizenry will elect good leaders. And I think that's the end goal, that we create this society where people are equipped to choose well how they are governed. Because at the end of the day, our choices govern us. Eh? So right. if we make good choices, we will be governed well. And at the end of the day, what does that mean? Better life for everyone. You know, like better pandemic response, a better future for our children. And that's, that's the prize I want. I mean, what could be a better prize? I want to get into the mental health of it all because yeah. you mentioned that it still isn't easy. Na tao ka pa rin, di ba? Uh, kapag nakatanggap ka na lahat mga tweets, mga reactions, death threats, and whatever, that's never easy to take. So how do you take care of yourself knowing that the job never ends? I count myself really lucky that I have a very good support system. So... My husband is super supportive and understanding. I just dump everything, all of the bad vibes on him. And I have a good family life. And I'm lucky that I have other hobbies that allow me to escape from, from my job sometimes. Reading, uh, climbing. I'm a, my husband and I we actually have a rock climbing gym at home. So oh, wow. Yeah, we, we built. That's one of my husband's passions. So... He influenced me to do that. And it's really been an outlet for me to, you know, physical exertion just to get rid of all of the bad thoughts. I have very good people around me who support me. And I'm also lucky that my company, Rappler, is super supportive and just backs me up all the way. Their fears, they, they don't, they're not influenced by politicians who say, oh, don't publish that story because it's too critical. Or, you know, they're not easily swayed by threats like that. So, it's inspiring how brave the editors and rapper are. So that's also very infectious. And it also just gives you assurance that they'll be there for you. And I think that not a lot of reporters can say that they have that benefit, that they have that kind of security to fall back on. So I'm very lucky in that sense. And, you know, just 
yoga, having a cup of coffee, reading a book, just disappearing in that book before the pandemic, going out with friends, things like that. Like just normal things and talking about things. Yeah, there's just so many things you can do in a minute. As long as for me, as long as you have another life, yeah. then you're good. Because you just have to disappear for a bit. Right. And kind of go offline. My company respects days off. Unless there's something really big breaking, they don't contact you during your day off. Your leaves are respected. Like you can go off into the haze and it's okay. Someone will take care of your beat. Before the pandemic, we would travel a lot. We would like weekend warriors go to Baguio for the weekend or go to Singapore or whatnot. And it's just important to go away from this space. Would people recognize you like pre-pandemic in the maskless era? Now, like let's say you're out with friends. Would people recognize you and would um, somebody with like a Duterte sympathizer, would they go up to you and call you out to your face? Has that ever happened? You know, no. They recognize me. People recognize me and they say hi. But no one's ever insulted me to my face. Doesn't mean though that I that the people who talk to me aren't Duterte supporters. But that's the thing. Like there, there was a scary time where it was right after the palace ban and I went to the grocery to buy something and then I was waiting in line and then this person just says, Hi Pia and then walks away. So you're like, uh, what does that mean? Like, of course you assume the best of people, right? Like, of course I said hi and I smiled. You don't know if that person is taking your photo and then he's going to post it on like a Duterte webpage and say, look, Piranada is uh, doing something in the grocery or whatnot. But at least I've never been, there's never been an, a really unpleasant confrontation. Most of the time, it's people who actually are very supportive. Like they go up to me, shake my hand, some even like take selfies. They say that, you know, keep doing what you're doing. We support Rappler and those are so encouraging and they just make my day all the time. There's also been moments where uh, you know, I go to a restaurant and they, they know me, they know Rappler, and then they're like, give me free popcorn or something because, you know, it's like what they can do to help uh, Rappler or even just small things like freebies, little favors, because they want to show their support. And those are really heartening. Uh, and I really, we really appreciate that. You mentioned the Palace Band, and I want to get into that story, right? Uh, so this happened in 2018. Uh, right after you'd reported a story on yung now Senator Bongo and the Navy frigate deal. And after that, you'd been barred from entering Malacanang. So can you take me through that from your perspective? I mean, you know, it's been reported on, but I guess I want to get your internal thought process of being in that moment. Mm. So that report, it started out with a report of our defense beat reporter at the time, Carmela Fonbuena. Uh, and my role basically there was to corroborate her information and get the side of Malacanang and Bongo because back then he was a Malacanang official. Yeah. Um, and then in the process, I also had to make my own stories, like kind of follow up to her story that were also exclusive stories. You know, I was able to get the, the side of the now controversial former budgets undersecretary Lloyd Christopher Lau, who's right, who's embroiled in this controversy about pandemic funds. So at that moment, you know, it went by so fast. I was really surprised at what happened, at the vitriol that was directed at me. I mean, you have to understand that the main character here isn't even Duterte. It's actually Bongo. And uh, I've known Bongo since 2015. I've seen him when he was a lowly nobody, just the assistant of a mayor from Davao City. And he was a very different person then. He was allergic to the limelight. He hated being on camera. He was just on, in the background. But... Yeah, I think power changed him and he has been very, very concerned primarily with his public image. So when our story came out, 
his reaction was over the top. It was really, I really think it was him who convinced Duterte to confront me in a live interview. And he was the one who also, I think, prodded Duterte to ban me because this is all about him. And I think back then, he, even back then, he was already hoping to run for senator. So it was surprising just because I hadn't expected how fast things would be. I knew at one point that I would, there would be, you know, a standoff between me and Duterte Malacanang because you know, he was already making these snide remarks and kind of getting annoyed with my reports. So it was just a matter of time before he would do something really, really flagrant. But up to that point, I, I always felt that he kind of would n- never go to the point of banning reporters from Malacanang. But he did. So for me, that was a turning point. That just showed me that the person I thought I knew has changed. Or maybe he's always been that way. And, you know, power just kind of brought it to the fore and kind of aggravated those weaknesses. It was scary and shocking and dismaying. I was angry all the time just because they they kept spinning things. They kept saying all we had were rumors and speculations when actually we, we held documents. And in the hierarchy in journalism, documents reign supreme. If you have a document that you can really report on it, that's a that's a solid story. It's more than, you know, like sources say or, you know, like firsthand accounts that we write about. No, these are documents in themselves. They are evidence of whatever you're trying to prove. So I was surprised that they would spin it that way and not actually understand the process we went through. And even really just the extent they went to discredit us was extreme. I remember there was even a Senate hearing where Bongo showed my messages to him, to like the lawmakers, like in public, like Lucopia sent this to me. And then he even printed out my article right then and there and like showed everyone like how I supposedly misinterpreted his statement. So this guy is really uh, no holds barred. He's really going after me. So I was scared and frustrated. At the same time, though, I was kind of satisfied because it just shows how much of an impact our journalism was making. That It was making these officials nervous and scared uh, and you know, in journalism, that's, that's kind of the goal, to make officials nervous, to make them uncomfortable in their positions of power. Really, that's the name of the game. It's making them not sit comfortably in their thrones. You have to make that an iron throne. You have to make that a thorny throne where, you know, your butt is getting pierced by something under because it's power. You have to be, you have to sit there like you're uncertain of your power because at the end of the day, it's people, the public, who should have that power over you. And I felt kind of a comfort and a satisfaction that our writing was at least making them understand that they're being watched all the time. And uh, I'd like to think that that's something that, you know, at least journalism is working in a way. Even if we're taking all the punches, we're also dealing our own punches. And I think that's something to be said. If you're a current podcaster or plan to create your own podcast soon, let me share with you this tool that I use to help me monetize my podcast. It's called Podmetrics. Now, Podmetrics is a platform that allows you to have full control of how you monetize your podcast. You can collab with brands and choose between the many merchants that fit your podcast's audience, kind of like what I do here on Deck with Stan C. It also gives you tips and samples on how to execute your ads properly to maximize your earning potential. Plus, you can track how many of your listeners you were able to convert and know how much you've earned in real time. And cashing out is also a breeze. So if you're a podcaster, make sure you sign up by clicking the link in the description of this episode and use my referral code ONDECK. 
That's O-N-D-E-C-K, no spaces in between. It's not case-sensitive either, so it's on deck, just one word. And from there, you can monetize your podcast too. That really reminds me of something that my professors in MassCom taught in the basics classes. Now, media is the fourth estate. It's the watchdog of the government and all that. What you said really speaks to that. So I guess I want to get into how you could continue your job when you essentially been barred from the palace, like pre-pandemic. How did that happen? How did you sort all that out? Well, pre-pandemic, it was very difficult because I could only send my questions to the moderator of those press conferences. So that's hard because your question, you send it before the press conference starts and then it's already answered. So like your question, it's it's a waste. Or sometimes they respond to your question, but it's super vague. And if you were there, you could have followed it up. Like say, but sir, sir, uh, can you clarify? Can you whatever? I couldn't do that. So it was disheartening and, you know, it kind of demoralizing. That's the word because, you know, you're just sitting there, just a screen before you when... In normal times, you would have been there and you wouldn't have let that pass, you know, what they said. But you can't because you're far away. And also another limitation was I couldn't be in the ambush interviews with the president. So that was a big loss to me because I felt that it's in those ambush interviews where you can really catch him off guard. And it's in those moments when you can get really candid answers, which is closer to the truth, right? Than scripted podiums where he can say whatever he wants and nobody will correct him. So uh, those ambush interviews were precious to me. Those are where I really, I felt that I was doing my job, really, because who gets to talk to the president, right? Who gets to face him like you're just a few inches away from him and you can really read his body language and see what goes on. That's It's really a, a privilege to be able to do that. And I thought that being barred really limited my ability to do that. But that forced me also to be more resourceful. So I would really protect my sources, cultivate my relationship with them, really get updates from them on what goes on in meetings with the president. I really also sharpened my skills in terms of getting documents, right? Like getting official records. So that was a good chance to also bolster my skills. And I think that if not for the ban, actually, I wouldn't have maybe done some major stories. Like, for example, my exclusive where I was able to get contracts showing that a Chinese national served as the president's economic advisor. That happened while I was banned. And many people actually told me that those were one of my best stories, uh, the stories when I was banned. Because anyway, you're not tied down anymore to going to these press conferences, like yeah, having to travel to Malacanang, you save on transportation time. You can focus on the stories that people aren't looking at. Because in a way, you know, these press conferences, these speeches of the president, he used to give as much as five speeches a day yeah. And sometimes they would be nonsense. Right. And sometimes I would think, are they just distracting us, us reporters, by making us listen to these hours of speeches that don't really contain anything that important when we could actually be digging up other more important stories? That there are things they're hiding that they're able to hide more because we're so busy with covering the day to day breaking. So um, being banned actually let me spread my wings a bit. And it was actually useful that time. So just to clarify the whole banning of it all, like shampering a pandemic, diba? so a lot of the press cons, as you mentioned earlier, are are virtual. So now, virtual press cons, is that the case? Yeah. It's so funny because so physically I'm banned yeah. for some reason that they can't fathom. Like when I ask them, 
why am I a security threat? They couldn't answer. But they allow me in the press conferences that are done by Zoom. So, okay. diba, it's like a weird, like, Same you're just fit. a physical threat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're just a physical threat. <laughs> me, who's like 90 pounds, I'm a physical threat. Um, But I'm not a threat online. So, it's like, it's a strange thing. But anyway, I'm really making the most of the Zoom press conferences. You know, I, I really try to uh, be there every press con that I can and try to ask as many questions as I can. Like, there's even a time when I would get caught because I was asking too many questions or something or they couldn't hear me or whatnot. So I really try to maximize those opportunities. And yeah, I'm really happy that I can do that. Uh, you mentioned something in 2018, shortly after you'd been banned from Malacanang. This is in a video series Rappler put out on Press Freedom. And you talked about how lonely it is to be in this type of coverage, especially having to report on the president. And you mentioned in Kanina na it's not super lonely in the sense that you do have a good support system around you. So how do you reconcile that na the job essentially is really, really lonely, but you know that it serves pretty much everybody? Well, it's lonely because Rappler kind of is the only outlet that we don't have qualms with writing things as it is, like calling things out. I'm allowed to say Duterte makes misogynist comment, whereas other reporters, they might feel they can't be that strong because their newsrooms, you know, they're, they're also kind of scared about the regulation and the attacks that Duterte might bring on them because that's the whole genius of Duterte's strategy, right? Like he focuses in on a few outlets like Rappler, Inquirer, ABCBN, and then by making them an example of his wrath, he already tames the rest of the outlets. Yeah. And, you know, you can't also blame reporters for being scared or editors because, you know, this is their bread and butter also. They have families to feed. I guess that's where I was coming from, the loneliness of knowing that maybe only you would pursue this angle and people would ignore it. Other reporters might ignore it because, you know, they don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, maybe they've received guidance that they shouldn't write about this particular issue. Yeah, that's kind of sad. And, but at the same time, it also just convinces me that the more I should do my job, the more that this is important, because if we're the only ones willing to write about this, then we have to write about this. As we begin to wind down here, I want to get your thoughts on the Maria Ressa arrest and how all that went down. Like, does something like that scare you in a parang, you know, if it could happen to my boss? That could happen to me. And I guess as a follow-up to that, were you there when that happened? So when Maria was arrested in our office, I was covering something. I remember that so well when I was, I think I was in the car, like from the field coverage. And then, you know, I was resting already. I was actually maybe writing something. And then, you know, like just this thing pops up on my messages with other reporters where, you know, the NBI is in the office. And then we went live Rappler Facebook went live with the scene. So yeah. I really watched with horror, right? As I knew that Maria was just having a meeting with other managers that day. And, you know, just to see our office w- with these, you know, plain clothes. I think they were MBI people. And then they were even, one man was even going like that to the camera. Like, bawalian, bawalian or something. Mm-hmm. So it was really scary because, wow, they actually got to our office. So they, they went to our space. Definitely that that could happen to to anyone because they're doing it to Maria. And it's kind of surreal to think that it's come to this, you know, that they would really send NBI people to our office. And there was even later on, right, when when Maria arrived from, I think, the U.S. or somewhere. And then they even, like, handcuffed her or put her 
they, they they made her look like a criminal. Like they they put her hands behind her back and they made her go like that. Like they touched her head before she went inside a car. So that image, like like they're making criminals out of journalists. They're really using the optics of journalism as being unpatriotic and like critical journalism being a crime. And I also remember that reminded me of a time when we were doing an ambush interview with Duterte and then I was asking him a question and then he said, Pia, you're not a Filipino. You're not a Filipino for what you're doing. So wow. I think that's his narrative really, that what you're doing is not for the country. When actually so, what you if you're not Filipino, what the hell? <laughs> I know. I'm like I'm like this alien <laughs> in in Malacanang. But you know, the way I took that statement was he is the country. <laughs> He's basically saying, you're not Filipino because you're not patriotic to me because I'm the Philippines, you know, I'm the emblem of this country. Because it's like, it's this illusion of grandeur he has, again, that you're not serving the country well if you're not towing the line when it comes to me. He's the country, he's the Philippines. And by writing these stories, you're not patriotic, whatever. So, ah, it's just, that's how far he goes in trying to demonize journalists and i think that's what people should see in this whole drama right it's really an effort by someone to demonize people who are not working for his interest that's really all it is uh, it's not anything like corporate documents or rappler is like funded by americans which we're not i mean all of our board members are filipino so it's it's crazy it's just i think that people have to pierce through his narrative and see it for what it is it's really just he's protecting himself and his allies so i can't believe that we're at a point where people like you and me have survived and kept our sanity over five years into whatever this is (laughs) what should people keep in mind and what should people do aside from registering to vote and voting wisely these cliches no heading into what's bound to be a very turbulent campaign season and more turbulent than ever because of the pandemic. I think what people have to realize is that we can do better than this. That before Duterte, we have had Naman presidents who could take criticism, right? Like who understood that critical coverage is part of the job and in fact makes them do their job better. I think we have to realize that there are politicians who actually believe that. And Duterte really is an anomaly. I mean, I'm not saying that he's the only politician who would ban reporters, but I mean, he's the only president who's done this to this extent, right? Like we've heard Arab, he was also hostile to inquiry reporters, but eventually naman, he allowed them back. Pinoy also uh, would get a bit irritated at reporters, but by and large, um, aside from Marcos, obviously, uh, Duterte really is that politician who hates criticism. So coming into 2022, I think we really have to set our eyes on alternatives i mean obviously i'm not taking any position on the elections i cover these these people so i have to be objective in my stories but all i can say is that this is our time to make our choice and we can't lose sight of the goal that we're doing this for a better life so when we come into election season dates to remember right october is when these people will file their candidacies we will know by october to december who will run next year so i really implore listeners to read up read up on these people be involved be political politics is not a bad word right now we have come to a point where we all have to be political for the sake of our lives like the quality of our lives even just you know lives because people are dying in this pandemic and 
the people we elect will have a direct say on how many people more will die. So this is our time to be political, to read up, get away from your Facebook feeds, like go to the actual news sites themselves. Because, you know, when you read just from your Facebook, you're reading what Facebook is curating for you. You're reading what Facebook thinks you will want to read, what will confirm your biases. So get out of that bubble. Yeah, get out of that echo chamber and go to the news websites. Because you're right, when you go to the news website, all of the news is there, whether or not it's news you want to read or whether or not it's news that conforms to your opinion. So, you know, just seek that out. Seek seek to know more about these people. Uh, listen to the, the presidential debates. Get to know them and so that you can make a final choice that will um, make your life better. And the pandemic, yeah, it's, it's going to be an obstacle for sure. But if there's one reason to go out, it's really to vote. So just go out there. I'm not sure if they're going to install like a ballot system where you can mail in your ballots like in the U.S., but just find a way to get your vote and be counted because there's no other elections where your vote matters the most. There's so much at stake. There's the, our democracy, our economy, and the lives of everyone around you. So please, please do vote. If you haven't registered yet, sadly, the deadline is just September. But at least the good news is like, I think 61, there were a lot of new registrants this year. So I think that just shows how people really feel about the elections next year. Um, but if you have time and if you can, please do register already if you haven't. I guess as a final note on that, I, I just want to add that politics is very personal. But you said that politics shouldn't be a bad word. It's very personal. And uh, especially with the pandemic, even before that, people were dying now because of EJ case and all of that. But like with the mm-hmm. pandemic, every death is political. I will say that every death is political. Um, right. You know, every funeral you couldn't attend, every family member that you'd lost, every person grieving on Facebook, that is political. And for everybody who says it, it isn't, please get your head out of your asses because by all of this, right? The work that we're not able to do, the economy being in a shitty place right now, all of that is political. So uh, you're right, Pia, when you say that um, if there's one instance that you have to risk your safety and, and go out, it is to get out there and be part of the process to be a voter. So thank you for coming on the podcast and just talking about all these things, because it's nice to know that there are still people like you who are out there who are trying to bring these stories to us, ECQ season three, notwithstanding. Thanks for having me, Stan. It was a really good conversation. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And I'm sure people have seen your name trend online, but in case people want to find you still online, you know, where can people get in touch with you or read your stories? I have a Twitter, at Pia Renada. And of course, you can find my stories on Rappler. But aside from that, I also pitch my podcast. It's called ahead, Seat yeah. of Power. Yeah, and it's on Spotify and on Rappler. So it's my podcast about the Philippine presidency, about the man and the office. And I think my last episode was all about who edits Duterte's speeches. So hope you can catch that. There you have it. Piranada, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Really appreciate you and all the work that you do as well as all the wonderful people over at Rappler. Thanks once again to Piranada for joining me on this week's episode of On Deck. Man, what did I tell you? But it's always refreshing to see these journalists be humanized, to just tell their stories from their own perspective, and to go deeper than the stories they cover and just hear about their own personal stories. So I'm really happy that I had the chance to catch up with Pia and just share her story here on the podcast. Now, before we get out of here, if you are enjoying all of the episodes that I've been putting out here on Deck with Stan C, then you can support the show through your online shopping at no extra cost to you, in fact. So all you have to do is to use your mobile phone browser 
and then click on this Shopee affiliate link. It's tinyurl.com slash ondeckxshopee. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash O-N-D-E-C-K-X-S-H-O-P-E-E. Sakto payday sale pa naman ngayon. From there, you can just go and click checkout. And a portion of what you spend will go to Podcast Network Asia and to On Deck with Stancy at no extra cost to you. So sobrang sakto for today's payday sale. It's tinyurl.com slash ondeckxshopee. As for me and my other projects, you can check out the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast, which is also part of the Podcast Network Asia family. I co-host that alongside my friends Romoran and Chino Liao. You can check us out on Spotify. It's the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast. Or you can hit us up on Kumu for our weekly live streams every Thursday at 7pm. Just follow us at Wrestling Wrestling Pod. You can also check out my other podcast. It's called Now Steaming, a Chinoy podcast, and I host that alongside Kimberly Mass and Cedric Cheng of So Asian Comics, where we talk about our takes as millennial Chinois, and we break down what it means to be a Chinese Filipino in the current generation. Speaking of being Chinoy, we celebrate our identity and heritage over on Chinoy TV. I'm inviting you to watch Chinese by Blood, Filipino by Heart. It's the documentary airing every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on CNN Philippines and every Wednesday at 8 p.m. over on the Chinoy TV Facebook page. I've been featured in four out of the six episodes so far, so please go check it out. You might learn a thing or two. All right, time for me to get out of here. If you want to keep the conversation going, please follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at underscore Stan C. That's at underscore S-T-A-N-S-Y. Or check out everything I do if you want to book me for VO or for hosting. I've got a link tree now. It's linktr.ee slash Stan C says. That's linktr.ee slash S-T-A-N-S-Y-S-A-Y-S. Go check out my work over there. But for this episode, I've got to put it in the book. So thank you very much to Babyface producers Nikai and Gel and the rest of the Podcast Network Asia team for putting it all together. And well, for next week's episode, I'm hoping to get this one guest. You may have seen my posts on Instagram already. I've been trying to reach out to Asia Agkawili. Yes, the sex guru herself, the former Viva Hot Babe. If you want Asia on deck, please check out my post on Instagram at underscore Stan C. Tag her in the comment section. Let's make this happen. Let's get Asia on deck by next week. All right? Until then, my name is Stan C saying please double mask up if you can. Go and register to vote while you still can. Please get your vaccines if you can. And next year, please, bumoto tayong lahat. Let's all vote correctly in 2022. That's it for this episode of On Deck. Thank you very much, and I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.